0: If you have your Bibles, please get ready to turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Is where we'll be at uh, this afternoon. Was my efforts wasted in my 18 years of pastoral ministry? I remember clearly one of the few occasions I thought of a fellow church member and friend who used to be one of my youth students. I had known him for years. He had gone through a number of different challenges dealing with his family. I had met up with him on numerous occasions to pray with him, to encourage him, to remind him of the promises of God's Word over lunches, over coffees, over phone calls. I had cautioned him against meeting up with a theologically liberal Catholic psychologist who seemed to be counseling him away from orthodox biblical principles. But one day, after several months of being away from the church due to a decision he made, which I cautioned him against, he called me out of the blue to inform me that he was walking away from the faith. He said he was no longer interested in being a Christian. That he no longer believes in Christ. Not only that, he was entirely embracing the secular lifestyle. No words I pled with him could change his mind. I am afraid. I may have labored over you in vain. I fear for you that I may have wasted my efforts on you. Are the words spoken by a broken hearted pastor. And they are the words we find in Galatians chapter 4 verse 11. Spoken by the Apostle Paul. To the young Gentile Christians in the Galatian churches. Who are on the verge of abandoning their faith. We're continuing our study through Galatians in our series, There is One Gospel. And please, let me apologize in advance. I had planned to preach from Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 through 31. But in an effort to do justice to the passage, I'll be only preaching from Galatians 12 uh, through verse 20 today. Thank you so much to a number of you who sent me a number of helpful insights. And questions about Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31, which is an epic pericope, I know, I'm eager to get to. Don't worry, we'll get there the next time I preach. Uh, The bulletins had to be printed earlier this week due to scheduling, and I told Brett that you'll understand if we decided not to reprint it with the correction. So thank you for bearing with the errors on it, for your understanding and flexibility. But we'll be looking at only verses 12 through 20 this afternoon. The passage we have before us today, Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 through 20, one commentator notes, is one of the more important yet often overlooked passages in Galatians, which is one of the reasons why I didn't want to neglect it or overlook it today, and have it overshadowed by the following passage. Uh, This section of Galatians forms a personal parenthesis in Paul's overall argument of justification by faith, which he will resume and conclude in verses 21 through 31. But here is an aside of sorts, a passage that provides a window into the pastoral heart of Paul. Commentators through the centuries have noted the gripping intimacy of these verses, which seems to have been literally wrung from the Apostle's heart. Martin Luther, the great reformer, in his commentary remarked, These words breathe Paul's own tears. And through these words, what we learn and are reminded of again is the indissoluble relationship between theology and pastoral ministry, the inseparable tension of the head and the heart, that pastors are not merely distributors of head knowledge, but stewards of God's sacred words as well as shepherds of God's treasured souls. As we progress into the epistle of Galatians, in what may have seemed Paul's harshest words through this passage in particular, we are brought in to why why Paul felt so passionate about the Judaizers' false teaching and the young Galatians' Christians strain. What deeply agitated Paul in Galatians was not that certain people had misconstrued the doctrine of justification only on a theoretical level, but rather that individual men and women whom Paul loved dearly were in spiritual danger because of this deviation from the truth of the gospel. It was this concern, more than anything else, that prompted Paul to pause on his theological argumentation and address himself to the Galatians in this deeply personal and emotional appeal. And I believe Paul's words are helpful for us in discerning the heart of a true messenger of God. And so from our passage, I want to share with you five marks of a true pastor. Five marks of a true pastor. Here's the outline so you can follow. True pastors of God, point number one, boldly model gospel living. The first part of verse 12. Number two, display gospel power despite weaknesses. Second part of verse 12 through 14. True pastors of God, point number three, speaks God's truth even when it's hard. Verses 15 through 16. Point number four, true pastors of God always makes much of Christ. 17 through 18. And point number five, true pastors of God commit sincerely to their sheep's maturity. Verses 19 through 20. If you didn't catch all that, I'm going to repeat couple times boldly model gospel living, display gospel power despite weaknesses, speaks God's truth even when it's hard, always makes much of Christ, and commits sincerely to their sheep's maturity. Brothers and sisters, I pray this message will encourage you, all right, perspective of God's true shepherds, and bring healing and comfort, knowing that ultimately the chief shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ, loves you and cares for you deeply. Guests and visitors, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Thank you so much for joining us for our Sunday gathering. If you are here and you do not know yourself to be a Christian, we especially welcome you today. could have been anywhere on this rainy Sunday afternoon, but you are here. And we know that it is not mere coincidence that you are here. We know that God led you here because we have been praying for you. Someone who invited you today have been praying for you. That you would hear the good news of Jesus and find hope in Him today. So welcome. Without further ado, let's turn to our text found on page 974 in the blue Bibles around you. And I want to ask of you, please keep your Bibles open for the entire duration of the message as I read and preach so that you know that this is God's Word for you to build you up and to anchor you in Christ. Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 through 20 says this. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. The first mark of a true pastor, point number one, boldly model gospel living. From the first part of verse 12 look with me to that verse again it says this brothers i entreat you become as i am for i also have become as you are starting here in verse 12 paul begins the third and final section of the letter regarding the life of the gospel which is why it makes so much sense That the first imperative in the letter, Paul's primary appeal in calling back the Galatians from near apostasy, from nearly abandoning their faith, was a clarion call to follow and imitate him. Now that might sound strange, perhaps even a bit arrogant. But what Paul was encouraging a group of young believers who were lost in their way, was to say, if you don't know a way forward, look at me, follow me. Imitate me, I will show you the way. Of course, this isn't the first time Paul would instruct such advice. Paul knew it was true in their day, as it is sadly true in our day. Although there are countless guides in Christ, there are not many spiritual fathers, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Hence, Paul would often exhort Christians to be imitators of me, as I imitate Christ. But looking closely at this verse... Paul isn't necessarily saying, become like me as I have become like Christ. In fact, Paul says, become like me, for I also became like you. What does he mean? Simply, what Paul was saying was, in accordance to 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 and 23, for you, Paul says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant of all, that I might win more. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. You see, this wasn't some emotional, manipulative coercion. Paul was saying, although I am indeed a Hebrew of Hebrews, I gave it all up to proclaim the gospel to you Gentiles. And the loss of my rights and my privileges, I counted as rubbish. It doesn't mean anything if it meant that you would receive The gospel. I entreat you, I beg of you, I plead with you, become like me as I have become like you. Follow me as I sacrificially pursued you. You see, Paul hit the nail on the head. His pastoral sense was right on the money. Paul was confronting the Galatians' dilemma for what it truly was, as the passage will show us. The central problem of the Galatians wasn't the Judaizers' heterodoxy or heresy or deviation from the truth. The root issue was the Galatians' cowardice. They were no longer willing to follow Paul in suffering for the cross of Christ. It was clear to Paul and all, they took a side. They denounced the narrow way of Christ and embraced what was culturally acceptable, what was politically correct, although they weren't even Jews, they were Gentiles. They were willing to undergo the knife, to be circumcised, to be found acceptable, right? That's what the Judaizers were trying to do. If you want to be a true follower of God, if you want to be a true member of the church, follow our ways, follow our customs. Don't listen to that weirdo, Paul. Look at him. He's so narrow. He's so exclusive. He's so serious. He's so weak. Physically, we'll get to that in the next verse. And as Gentile Galatian Christians, again, they were willing even to undergo circumcision just to be accepted just to belong, just to be politically and socially all right. And Paul says, embrace suffering for the gospel with me, for this is the only way. The Apostle Paul was exhorting the Galatian Christians that gospel-centered preaching always goes hand-in-hand with gospel-rooted living. That true Christ-following requires embracing Christ's sufferings. Boldly modeling gospel, living against all odds, against all opposition and persecution, no matter what comes our way. Is this what you do? Boldly model gospel-rooted living? Embrace Christ-exalting suffering? In the face of opposition, in the presence of persecution and ridicule, can you confidently say to those who are watching you, watching your witness, watching you as a Christian, become as I am. Follow me. Imitate me. As theologian John Stott says, in seeking to win other people for Christ, our end is to make them like us. But the means to that end is to make ourselves like them. If they are to become one with us in Christian conviction and experience, we must first become one with them in Christian compassion. So the question for you this afternoon is, what kind of Christian are you? What a challenge for us, isn't it? Are you the type of Christian that can boldly say to other Christians, straying in their way, be like me, imitate me, follow me, I know the way. Are you the type of Christian where lost and struggling Christians see no reason to follow you whatsoever, to relate to you? Perhaps they look at you and say, "Ah, why would I follow that guy? Why would I follow that girl? Perhaps you are one of those people, arrogant and uncompassionate and uncaring. And they might question, why in the world would I imitate them? How would they assess you in regards to your relatability, in regards to your compassion? Can suffering friends come to you? Can they see Christ in you? Again, gospel proclaiming goes hand-in-hand with gospel living. That's what Pastor Paul, the true pastor, models for us. Gospel proclaiming goes hand-in-hand with gospel living. Second mark of a true messenger of God, point number two, displays gospel power despite weaknesses from the second part of verse 12 through 14. Look at those verses again. Second part of verse 12 through verse 14. It says this, You did me no wrong. You know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Uh, With the phrase, You did me no wrong. What Paul is doing is to recount the deep and close relationship Paul had with the Galatian Christians. Paul recounts that it was because of a physical illness that he preached the gospel to them initially. Now, we don't exactly know what Paul's malady was, but Bible scholars conjecture. It could have been Paul recuperating from being flogged, beaten, or stoned from persecution. Perhaps they say it was malaria or epilepsy. Or an eye disease, which could have been the reason why, Paul says in verse 15, they were even willing to gouge out their own eyes for him. But whatever the nature of Paul's physical affliction was, the condition must have been so bad, it resulted in some sort of bodily disfigurement or obviously unpleasant symptoms. So that his condition, Paul says, was a trial, a hindrance to the Galatians. You see, in their day, they believed such physical sicknesses or deformities could be a sign that Paul's message was not from God and a sign of divine displeasure and rejection. For surely a divine messenger would be accompanied by strength rather than the weakness. You see, Paul would have stood in stark contrast to the strong and good-looking super-apostles or false teachers who boasted in their physical prowess, rhetorical elegance, and academic achievements. But to their credit, Paul says the Galatians had not yielded to those societal pressures. They did not scorn or despise Paul because of his weaknesses. The phrase indicates the meaning of spitting out in order to protect themselves. So rather than rejecting or loathing Paul in his suffering, in his physical illness, they were granted spiritual perception to receive Paul and his gospel as from an angel or a messenger of God, as from Christ himself. How amazing is that? They recognized that the message proclaimed by Paul, weakened as he was, was the message of salvation. You see, the simple preaching of the cross in the power of the Holy Spirit had softened the hearts of the Galatians at first and brought them to a saving knowledge of Christ. Paul had proclaimed as frail and weak as Paul was. Brothers and sisters, do you believe in God's sovereign guidance as I do? You don't know how much reflecting on this passage has been an encouragement to me this past week. uh, That the weakness of the messenger is no hindrance to the display of gospel power. Amen? In fact, if you look at verse 13 closely, Paul says it was because of a bodily ailment that he preached the gospel to the Galatians at first. What does that mean? It means it was God's sovereign intent That the weaknesses of Paul manifested in sickness was a pathway by which Christ's strength would be revealed through him. The fact of the matter is, God's regular pattern, what He does often, so many times, is to display His strength in and through the weaknesses of His servants. Amen? Brothers and sisters, I wonder if there is anyone here this afternoon who often feel... Because of your weakness, be it a physical malady or mental or emotional weaknesses, stresses, anxieties, that you can't be used by God to display His glory through the gospel. Well, our passage shows us weaknesses are the very means, the very pathway, God's sovereign channel in which God works through. Amen? Listen, the counterintuitive reality of the gospel is that while death is working in us, when we daily crucify ourselves and pick up the cross Christ lives and works in and through us that's the truth of galatians 2:20 i have been crucified with christ it is no longer i who live but christ who lives in me and the life i now live in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me so brothers and sisters how might the lord be using your current weaknesses and sicknesses, and physical maladies to display the Gospel to those who are watching you faithfully live out your faith in Him. This past week, uh, as many of you know, I had a potential health scare, and I'm so very grateful for the many prayers and words of encouragement and love you all have showered on me facing my follow-up exam this past Friday. For those of you who did not get an update, they will continue to monitor my levels and give me meds and such to keep me going. But for the time being, they're ruling out the possibility of cancer, which I am grateful for. God answers prayers. Amen? Having my dad and my grandfather pass away from cancer, the thought of potential cancer was pretty shocking at first. But one thing that I was so thankful for, that I was reminded of, is that the truth of God's good news of Jesus uh, doesn't change based on life's circumstances. Amen? Oh my goodness, if anything, the initial use of the potential scare gave me the opportunity to cling to Christ's promises even more. The prayers and the notes and the Bible verses you shared with me reminded me of just that. That our Abba hears our prayers. That He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That my God is the stronghold of my life no matter what happens. I am His. I am in His hands. He can and He will take care of everything so much better than I can. He's got it. I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to be afraid. Whatever happens in the future... God is the one who is in control. Amen? Amen. My experience this past week was a short and limited window into what a number of our own members who are struggling with chronic illnesses experience and have been experiencing. (laughs) And if, brothers and sisters, if that's you, I pray this word will encourage you also. That the afflictions you are experiencing has a purpose. It's not random. That God takes no pleasure in your affliction. That God has a purpose for it in your life to draw you closer to Him, so that you would cling more closely to Him, to display His power through your weakness, to give you a greater hope in Him alone, for you to experience an unspeakable relief and satisfaction on the day when He returns to deliver you fully and thoroughly from your pains. In Christ, brothers and sisters, in Christ alone, suffering has an expiration date. And today you can hope in Him, You can rest in Him. You can have peace in Him. You know a greater news than doctor's diagnosis can ever give. Amen? You know the good news of Jesus. Third mark of God's messengers. Point number three. God's servants speak God's truth even when it's hard. Verses 15 through 16. Look at verse 15 and 16. It says this. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testified to you, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Through verse 15's rhetorical question, Paul inquires of how the Galatians, who are so discerning and accepting of Paul's gospel of grace, could turn so drastically. What then has become of your blessedness? By blessedness, Paul was referring to benefits of salvation they had once received, eagerly. It was a reference to the spiritual blessings of last Sunday's passage, the blessings of a new family and new identity, new master, new father, and new principles, having been adopted as sons and no longer slaves. How could they, those who understood it and received those blessings, completely abandon these gifts, these benefits, and turn away? It was puzzling to Paul. In the rest of verse 15, Paul expresses the intimacy of the relationship and oneness that the Galatians had shared with him in Christ through the Gospel. He says, For I testified to you, if possible, you would have even gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Now, no one knows for sure if the Galatians were truly willing to gouge out their own eyes out uh, for Paul. And this is one of the reasons, Bible scholars reason that Paul's physical illness was actually an eye disease. But what this verse does show is the depth of relationship that Paul once shared with the Galatians, doesn't it? Who in their right minds would actually want to gouge out their own eyes for someone? It's showing the intimacy of the relationships, how close the Galatians and Paul were. Paul wasn't just some random stranger nagging at them about theology and justification by faith. Paul wasn't some YouTube preacher the Galatians had no personal relationship with. The Galatian Christians had come to a saving knowledge of Christ through Pastor Paul's ministry. They felt at one point deeply, deeply connected and indebted to Paul. So if you think about it in that sense, it's not too far-fetched that the Galatians would have, if possible, gouged out their eyes for Paul. As I, too, have a few spiritual fathers who I feel deeply indebted to, to my pastor uncle who raised me, and pointed me to Christ, even from an early age. To Pastor Pettit, who mentored me during my college years when I was an emotional roller coaster, Uh, To Pastor Mark Dever, who greatly shaped me as a pastor in the recent years. What wouldn't I do to serve them and care for them if they are in need because I love them and I appreciate them greatly? It would not be a waste for me to give them what little I can offer because of the spiritual benefit I gained from them. It just doesn't compare with Paul and the Galatians in a greater sense. That was their relationship. That was how close they were. So imagine how hard it must have been for Paul. How astonished, how upset Paul must have been when he had heard that the brothers he had poured out himself into were walking away from the gospel because of false teachers, because of wolves and snakes who posed as true teachers of God. How baffled and how perplexed Paul would have been. And while it may have been easy and the temptation great just to move on, to forget about people who betray you and stab you in the back and abandon you, who are disloyal to you and reject you and discredit you, Paul doesn't retaliate with a similar behavior. He doesn't say, fine, do whatever you want, it's your life, just go as you please. No, Paul continues to tell them the truth of God's Word and even becomes an enemy of the Galatians. Crazy, isn't it? how sour the relationship has gone. But if you really think about it, this is not unusual. It sadly happens way too often for people who are blinded by sin. It's almost as if a mask or blinders come on over their eyes. They can't see the truth. They can't see the very person that loves and cares for them deeply and genuinely, and they see them as an enemy. Who are you to judge me? Who are you to tell me what I can and can't do? Who are you to counsel me? You are way too harsh. You're thinking way too narrow and way too extreme. Is that what the Bible really says? Are you even a real pastor? (sighs) This is what the Galatians were saying to the Apostle Paul. And let me tell you, it is not far-fetched. We learn from Paul, true servants of God always speaks God's truth. And we should identify them and appreciate them for it. Amen? Brothers and sisters, do you have such faithful truthful spiritual mentors in your life who speak truth to you even when it hurts who stays committed to the word who stays committed to you even when you bite and retaliate look around and see examine for yourself if you have any such person in your life Determine to find them and stick with them and heed their godly counsel as long as it is biblical and it's faithful and loving If you look around and find that you don't have any spiritual mentors who pour into your life, other than the fact that you haven't found one, then you should pray for one. But if it is the case that you don't have one because you have repeatedly rejected any counsel, how you might humble yourself and make right with previous spiritual mentors or accountability partners, or pray that the Lord would gift you a new brother or sister to walk alongside with. When you are in trouble, who can you call up and say, brother? Sister, I'm really struggling. Can you pray with me? Can you tell me the gospel again? Can you read scripture with me? Can you remind me of God's promises again? Do you or do you not have such person? Pray for them. Cherish them. Stick closely to them. Which leads us to the next point and why you should do so. Fourth mark of a true disciple of God. Point number four. Because they always make much of Christ. They always make much of Christ. Verses 17 and 18. In verses 17 and 18, Paul gives us some helpful wisdom and insight on how you can tell if spiritual mentors are genuine or fake. Sheep or wolf. Look at those verses. They make much of you for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, not only when I am present with you. See, Paul was referring to the Judaizers, the false teachers, and their typical characteristic. They make much of you. The phrase means they are zealous for you. They flatter you with words. You're awesome. You're so amazing. Right? They puff you up. They manipulate you. They lavish you with whatever words that they say, and they pull your emotional strings. But for no good purpose. Just to tickle your ears, according to 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 and 4, which says, For the time is coming... When people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander in off intimates. In the next phrase, Paul shows us the true motives right, of these false teachers. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. See, they want you as followers, these false teachers. They want to be your influencers. They want your loyalty. But they really want to do nothing with you. They want to keep you at an arm's distance. They don't open up their hearts. They don't share about their own weaknesses. They treat you like second-class citizens. They want your respect and fear. They want you to make much of them. But there is no real blessing for you whatsoever. The saddest and the most unfortunate thing is, in a devilish subtlety, they want to shut you out, actually, of salvation. What really matters? By subjecting you back to the law, by convincing you that what you are doing is not enough, that you need to have more faith like them, that you need to try harder and do better like them, that the gospel is not enough, that it's gospel plus whatever, that the gospel of the scriptures is an incomplete gospel. Brothers and sisters, be cautious of them, whatever else that plus may be, who emphasize and focus so much on you and them and not on Christ. You see, in contrast, true teachers of God's word always consider God's good purpose. In affliction, in sufferings and sorrows, in trials and temptation, despite bad news, despite difficult diagnosis, they always point you to God's good purpose and to God's good news. Look at verse 18. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. See, in this verse, Paul was pointing out the fact that Paul's cares and prayers for them didn't change whether he was present with them or away from them. Paul can confidently say such words not speaking as if he was some omnipresent divine being as an apostle at all. Paul can say such confident words because his life was fully and wholly committed from start to finish on Christ. As Paul would say in Philippians 1.21, For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Again, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the best news you will ever hear. That in Christ Jesus, our lives are crucified in Christ. And the life we now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, as sons of God, who loved us and gave Himself for us. That when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, truly God, born of a woman, truly man, born under the law, to live the sinless life, to redeem those who are under the law, by His life, death, and resurrection. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons. And so that as sons, We can live by the Spirit of His Son, able to cry, Abba, Father, in our times of need, in our weaknesses, to remind us that we are no longer slaves, but sons and heirs in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? If you are here and you are not a Christian or are not sure that you are, I wonder if you understand that man being made much of has no benefit, has zero benefit to you whatsoever. That you being elevated with the highest promotion, with the fattest check, with the most amount of social media followers, really is a dead end. That it has no lasting value whatsoever. That it will all fade away and be lost. There's not a single person in this world who dies and says, I wish I made more money. I wish I had more false friends. I I wish I spent more time working. I think people pass away regretting whether they truly loved and cared for and were loved and cared for by those who truly love and care for them. And I will say the greatest regret you will have if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior is not to have trusted Him and received His blessing. Jesus offers you forgiveness of sins. Jesus offers you eternal life. Jesus offers you peace with God. Jesus offers you eternal joy. He offers you suffering's end. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through Him. So I want to encourage you, if you are here and you are not a Christian, repent of your sins. That means to turn from your sins. Believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again for you. And trust Him today with all your worries, with all your weaknesses, with whatever you have. Trust Him today and tomorrow and forevermore. Brothers and sisters, the fifth and final mark of a true shepherd of God, point number five, He is committed sincerely to His sheep's maturity, verses 19 through 20, which says this, My little children, for who am I again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you? I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Paul has often referred himself in his other writings as a spiritual father to those he proclaimed the gospel to and discipled up in ministry. But here in this verse, Paul, for the first time, refers himself as a spiritual mother. The illustration is of a mother in anguish, in agony of birth pains, to birth a child. And so Paul, in figurative language, is portraying for us the agony, the pain that he was experiencing to see Christ form in the Galatians again. Their apostasy was so imminent, it was as if they had to be born again. And that's why Paul was agonizing for them. In verse 20, Paul expresses his desire to be with the Galatians in person and to not have to speak in such tone of anguish and disappointment and perplexity. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. And again, this verse really clearly portrays Paul's pastoral heart, doesn't it? But again, the point is this. Paul would not be paralyzed by his perplexity. He would go on with the rest of the letter to the Galatians reasons why they should come back to trusting in the glorious gospel of Christ. He shows them in the next passage why the law itself proves justification by faith alone. Brothers and sisters, I love the application we learn through these verses. Despite discouragements, despite disappointments, despite setbacks that come our way, true shepherds of God keeps on preaching. Keeps on teaching the word of God in season and out of season. Amen? True ministers of God's gospel keeps on caring for the sheep of God onto maturity and growth. And this word for you also, true Christians, don't give up when hardships come our way. They press on and they press forward. Hallelujah! Did you know Galatians was one of Paul's earliest biblical writings, perhaps the first? He would go on to write 12 more letters to struggling Christians who needed to be reminded of the gospel. And he would write in 2 Corinthians 12, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weaknesses, insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, Paul was committed to the gospel. Paul cared for his people. And what a model he serves for us today. Brothers and sisters, pray for me, and pray for the elders of NCBC that we would grow to be such pastors. And I pray for you, I am committed to praying for you, and caring for you, and, and pastoring you, as we pray for one another, that we would be a church marked by such persevering disciples. Amen? Paul would go on writing Romans 8 verses 31 through 37, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the reminder that in our weaknesses, we are strong in Christ. Father, we humble ourselves before you that in times of testing that we would cling closely to you knowing that you are sovereign knowing that you are in control father we pray for the brothers and sisters who struggle with physical maladies and chronic illnesses father may they be strengthened by the promise of your word today father may we be the type of christians who endure endure in you because you are sovereignly victorious ultimately victorious for us Father, thank you for this reminder. Thank you for this truth. We pray in Jesus' name for your glory and our good. Amen.